It's About Time is back. I don't know for how long, but we are back. The Washington Nationals are World Series champions, and I could not stay away from the microphone. Uh, Believe it or not, um, the last podcast that we recorded was May 23rd. The Nationals had just been swept by the New York Mets, and the title of the podcast was Matt Williams 2.0. In that podcast, I, Nate, called for Davey Martinez to be fired. I had been a huge Davey Martinez supporter up until that point, but that four-game series broke me. I called for him to be fired. I took a break from the podcast. Uh, The Nats started winning. I didn't want to jinx it. I'm very superstitious. The season is over. I have a lot of thoughts. I say, let's jump right into it. Because our Nats are World Series champions. We've waited a long time to say that. And uh, I had a blast this October. And um, there's a lot I want to discuss. I'm going to start with, first of all, Welcome to everybody that's listening. Um, thank you for going on this ride with me. I got a lot that I just want to get out, and uh, you know, you can let us know how you feel uh, on Twitter. It's about time, ITS, about time, DC1 on Twitter. Let us know what you're thinking. Uh, we're always glad to hear from you guys. The Twitter account stayed active uh, for the rest of the season. I was tweeting during live tweeting during games, uh, during the postseason as well. Um, but I didn't want to jinx. I stopped. It, you can check it. I stopped recording May 23rd. The Nats famously 19 and 31 and uh, 10 games out of first place. And now World Series champions. I'm not going to take credit for it. I'm just saying it, it happened to coincide that way. So it's the first World Series in this franchise's history. The first World Series in D.C. since 1924. How did it feel? You know, I'm not really sure it's sunken in yet for me. I know that sounds weird. It's November 1st. They won uh, two nights ago. But it was a bit surreal. It happened so quickly, too, in the seventh inning of Game 7. The Rendon home run, the Soto walk, the Kendrick homer, and then the last three innings offensively for Houston, they just seemed to fly by. Patrick Corbin... Very little issue. And then Hudson, a a clean ninth. I mean, it was something we hadn't really seen all year. Uh, But the Nats bullpen did not blow a lead in the seventh inning or later in the entire postseason. Something they did routinely during the regular season. They did not do that during the postseason. To me, that's the number one reason that they're the World Series champions in 2019. My first thought... Before I get into um, my all my thoughts, but my first thought is I'm really going to miss this team, this team, um, this iteration of the team. You know, adding Gerardo Parra, uh, Isdrubal Cabrera, just the sheer joy that they have had. This was probably the most fun I've had in my life watching baseball. Um, I'm not saying it's not going to be fun in years to come, but this was a unique team, a team that I'll remember for the rest of my life. And that was actually one of my first thoughts as the game ended. And I stayed up until almost 4 a.m. I watched uh, all the coverage on FS1. I recorded the coverage on MLB Network. Then I switched over to that. Couldn't get enough of that. I've rewatched that probably three times. Um, It was... uh, 
But my first thought was I'm going to miss these guys because they caught lightning in a bottle. Uh, it's not not to say it can't happen again, but I'm really going to miss these guys. And uh, this was just so much fun. The wild card game feels like it was a year ago. It doesn't feel like it was just over a month ago. Uh, it uh, All of it has been amazing. And we're going to see a lot of the same cast of characters next year. Some of the guys will sadly leave. Um, and that we have all off season to talk about that, but um, I'm going to miss this team, and that was my first thought. So, but the, one of the first things I thought about when I sat down to record this podcast was, you know, what made this so special? And the first thing I thought of was, well, where did we come from? And I'm not talking about 2012, 2014, 2016, 2017. Um, I'm not talking about those years. I mean, we'll get to those, in, you know, towards the end of the podcast. But I meant this year because this year was really the tale of two seasons. It was the tale of opening day through May 23rd, and then it was May 24th through October 30th. So for me, I went back and I looked, and you look at the first 50 games of the season. The first thought I had Tuesday, April 2nd. It was a home game against Philadelphia. Bryce Harper's return to D.C. There was so much national hype. And I remember thinking before the game, I even said it in a podcast after the game, I was so ready for that series to end so that we could just get to regular baseball. But that game was a throwback of sorts. It was an 8-2 loss to Philly. Bryce hits a home run into the upper tank in right field. He goes three for five with three RBIs. Massive bat flip towards the Nats dugout after he hits the home run. Runs out to right field and does that hair flip bow that he did. And it just felt, it was a throwback. It reminded me of pre-2012 Nationals-Phillies matchups at Nats Park when they dubbed it Citizens Bank Park South. I remember being at a bunch of those games, 2009, 10, 11. It was miserable. You know, remember the, I don't know if some of you remember 2012, they did a take back the park every time Philly came to the park to make sure there were enough Nats fans in attendance. And that just felt like, you know, everything that the Nats had accomplished from 2012 through 2018, the four division titles, you know, the four playoff appearances, you know, Max Scherzer winning two Cy Youngs, it felt like all of that was for nothing in that one game. And in that game, you know, Max went five innings and he burned himself out through five. Bullpen ends up giving six, gives up six runs in four innings. Uh, it was just a miserable game. And uh, it just did not start the season off well. You know, Trey Turner gets hurt, all of those things. It just was, a, it was an ugly, ugly start to the season. Then you fast forward to that four-game series against the Mets. And we can talk about it now because we're World Series champions. But from Monday, May 20th through Thursday, May 23rd, up in um, Flushing, New York, four-game sweep to the Mets. The last three games of that series are lost by the bullpen. Every move that Davey Martinez made to his bullpen in that series did not work. May 21st, the Mets walk off in the ninth. Ahmed Rosario hits a ground ball to single, basically. It was called an infield single to shortstop, drove in the winning run, and were two outs. May 22nd, the Mets score six runs in the eighth inning after six brilliant innings by Max Scherzer. Bearclaw and Doolittle surrender the runs. Doolittle gave up four runs in that eighth inning. 
on May 23rd, which was that Thursday, was a day game. The Nats were down 3-1, to and they scored three runs in the top of the eighth to take a 4-3 to lead. Davey brings in Wander Suero, who gives up three runs in the bottom of the eighth, and the Nats lose 6-4. to And that was when everybody went, Davey's going to get fired when he gets off the plane in D.C. That Friday, um, the team looked, they really did outwardly look like a ship without a rudder. And on the, at the start of play on May 24th, Friday, May 24th, the Nats, which has been covered at nauseum by TBS, Fox, MLB Network, they were famously 19-31. and 31. They were 12 games under 500. They trailed the Phillies by 10 games and Atlanta by 8.5. They had the fourth worst record in all of baseball through the first 50 games of the season. And I, along with a lot of other people, were calling for Davey to be fired. There were uh, newspaper articles saying we should, when I say we, the Nationals, should trade Scherzer. They should trade all of their assets and basically tear it down and start a rebuild. Scherzer, Rendon, um, you know, because this team's window, according to them, had closed. And what it felt like at the time, if some of you can remember, what it felt like was that the 2012 through 2018 Nationals were dead. And that window that we had from 2012 to 2018, where every year you feel like you can win the World Series, that window was closed. And yeah, we had Juan Soto. We had Victor Robles. You got Trey Turner for a few more years. But you also had, they're the oldest, they were the oldest team in baseball. You had some high-priced veterans that you needed to try to unload and rebuild around your young guys, according to uh, a lot of the quote-unquote experts. You know, uh, the idea, and this was something that was kicked around of trading Max Scherzer, uh, and there were teams interested. The, you know, he was tied a lot to the New York Yankees, who could have used him, to be honest. Um, that, it was a tough time to be a Nats fan, because you felt like the season was lost. You felt like, what are we going to do for the next five months? And you just, you really looked at it. 12 games under 500, you you're trying to claw back just by... The All-Star break to be in contention. And the Phillies, remember the Phillies at this time. Ten games up on the Nats. They were eight games over 500 at 29 and 21. They looked unstoppable. I mean, if you really looked at them, you knew they had pitching concerns. Not just starting pitching concerns, but relief pitching concerns. But their offense looked like a juggernaut. When they had McCutcheon and Gene Segura... Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins in that top four, and then JT Real Muto, they looked like a murderer's row, and they played like it through the first 50 ish games of the season. And, and then Bryce and Reese Hoskins fell off a cliff. Um, Andrew McCutcheon got hurt, and the team was never the same. They finished the season just barely over 500, and Gabe Kapler, or I think right at 500, and Gabe Kapler gets fired. But at the time, May 24th, I mean, you're a third of the way through the season. They looked like they looked like the class of the National League East. And they looked like a juggernaut offensively. They looked like a team that no pitcher could get through twice, let alone three times. That's what it felt like on May 24th. And then you had the Braves, who at the time were just kind of plodding along. They were a game and a half behind the Phillies. They actually took off along with the Nats, which is why the Nats never really caught them. They took off with the Nats. And they left the rest of the division in the dust. Um, 
But at that time, it just felt hopeless. It really felt hopeless. If you came to any of us diehard Nats fans, May 24th, May 30th, whenever, and said, just said you're going to host the wild card game, we would have been in disbelief. Really, would have been in disbelief. So that's where we came from, which is why it feels so special now and somewhat still hasn't sunken in. It just feels surreal. It really, to me, it feels very surreal. Uh, the parade is tomorrow. Um, I can't wait to watch that. Um, it's, I'm really, I'm at a loss for words. Um, I got to share a lot of these moments this postseason with my dad. Um, he grew up a Senators fan, went to games at Griffith Stadium and then RFK and, um, or maybe not Griffith Stadium. That was my grandfather went to Griffith Stadium. My dad went to RFK. Um, and he went 33 years without baseball here. He kind of adopted the Orioles, kind of didn't. Um, I've never seen him more into anything than he has been this year, the last seven years, but really this year and especially in October. Um, a real quick funny anecdote. My father is... Uh, He's very frugal with his money. He'll spend it. You know, my dad does well financially. He'll spend it. But he's also very frugal. And we have season tickets to the Nats. And we, you know, got postseason tickets and had the opportunity to buy World Series tickets. And I had an idea in mind of what postseason, of what World Series tickets were going to cost based off of what they had cost uh, previous years. Because I have unused World Series tickets from 2012, 14, 16, um, and 17 in my, I have them stored away. I think they're great keepsakes, especially now that they actually won the World Series. But I, um, I remember going in to buy the tickets, and I saw the price, and I, I got my old man on the phone. I said, "Hey, uh, you know, just FYI, I'm getting the tickets, but this is what they cost." And he just said, "So?" I said, "Well, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of money for a baseball game." He goes, "Nate, so could for me especially? I'm six, almost sixty-two." Could be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and he was right. And he had a blast, man. He got to every postseason game he went to a couple hours early. He and I went to the wild card game together. Um, and then he uh, he went, we went separately to the NLDS, NLCS, into the World Series. Um, but we got to watch some games together on TV as well. And it was it was a great moment. I think it's really going to be great for the Nationals fan base. Um not just the older people, but this is how when you haven't had baseball for a couple generations, you build a fan base. My kids are into the Nats. They're five and four. Um, my son told me on Wednesday, he said, Max Scherzer's pitching. You know, Juan Soto, he, t he took my rally towel from the World Series Game 5, was, was ripping it around. Um, my wife, who is a Nats fan, you know, we... Um, among my family, famously, we got married in 2012, and we delayed our honeymoon because we got married in October. We delayed our honeymoon until the beginning of November because we wanted to make sure we could go to the World Series if the Nats made it that far. Uh, and she's always been into the Nats, but she's not nearly as, uh, as uh, I guess, diligent as I am. She's watched every postseason game, and now she's telling me she's already looking at the schedule next year. She can't. She cannot wait 
for baseball next year. This is how you build a fan base. Uh, this is how you build a fan base that lasts. And this organization, they do it the right way. They really do. They, they all love each other. They treat their people well. They really treat their people well. Um, players want to come here. It's a destination. Um, people want to work for Mike Rizzo. I mean, you heard that this World Series was really the uh, kind of the competition of two competing ideologies. Houston, completely analytical. They've really kind of thinned out their scouting department. They really just rely more on technology. Mike Rizzo is a scout scout. I mean, he's a scout at heart. His dad was a scout. And that's, you know, he uses um, people expertise over uh, technology. I mean, he uses technology, don't get me wrong, but he also incorporates the scouting side of it. And the Nats, of course, the oldest team in, in baseball this year. You look at the over 30 guys that made major contributions to this team. I mean, where would this team be without Max Scherzer, without Annabelle Sanchez, without Kurt Suzuki, without his Drupal Cabrera, Jan Gomes, the list goes on and on. You could throw in Fernando Rodney. As much as some of you may not be fans of Fernando Rodney, I mean, the guy got some big outs for the Nats at 42 years old this year. Um, the Nats showed Howie Kendrick also, by the way, excuse me, NLCS MVP, Howie Kendrick at 36 years old. Um, <clears throat> these, they showed that these players that they that the Nats were able to get off of the quote unquote scrap heap can still contribute and make huge contributions. I mean, who had is Drupal Cabrera starting games in the playoffs for the Nats in July? It was unbelievable. I mean, you look at the acquisitions that or trades that Mike Rizzo made to improve this team. You look at three key ones. He gets Gerardo Parra for nothing as a free agent from the Giants. The Giants are paying his salary, so the Nats are basically getting him for nothing. They trade for Daniel Hudson. They don't give up much for him. 32-year-old reliever who was cut in spring training. He signed with Toronto. They got him for, you know... He had been a good reliever this year, but they didn't have to give up any top prospects for him. They signed as Drupal Cabrera, who had been waived by uh, the Texas Rangers. And all those three guys, I mean, could you imagine this team making the playoffs without those three guys? And they cost the Nats nothing. And they were guys that were considered to be on the scrap heap, the over 30... Um, useless guys now the guys that were beyond their prime and i think the nats they won one for the old school and i think they showed that as ryan zimmerman said after world series after the game seven he said you can't put a price on leadership and on team chemistry and it's not something that can be measured with an algorithm and that's 100 percent true and I give a lot of credit to Mike Rizzo for the way he built this team, the way that he stuck to his guns. And I give a ton of credit also to Dave Martinez, the way he held this team together to a man, almost every single person that was interviewed when they were asked how they came back from being 12 games under 500 to a man. It all started with Dave Martinez and the fact that he stayed the same throughout, never placed any blame. I mean, look at all these mantras we have now. Go 1-0 today. Finish the fight. 
That's Dave Martinez. And he put his stamp on this Nationals team. Uh, and he's a, also a huge reason why the Nationals are the 2019 World Series champions. So let's get to the postseason. Some of my stories from the postseason, and you know, some of these are obvious. But some of the things that I really, the, my big takeaways from the postseason. First of all, the Nats were trailing in all of the winner-take-all games. You talk about the world wild card game, game five of the NLDS, game seven of the World Series. Kind of fits with the way they, you know, backs to the wall all year, um, left for dead, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Wild card game, they're down three to one. Uh, have runners on first and third after. Uh, Michael A. Taylor gets hit in the wrist um, with a ball, and then they challenge it. I mean, that was you know that could have gone either way. It really could have gone either way. I mean, I think they made the right call, but I think it could have gone either way. And in the past, you would have felt as a Nats fan that that would have gone the other way, and that they would have called it a foul ball. Michael A. Taylor walks, and then Ryan Zimmerman gets sawed off. I mean, a shattered bat, broken bat. I mean, it just happens to find green grass in the outfield. First and third. And then with two outs against Josh Hader, probably the best left-handed reliever in baseball. It's between probably him and uh, Aroldis Chapman. Rendon walks. And a huge walk. Brings up Juan Soto. Soto rips a single to right field. And then Grisham takes a weird angle to the ball. Tries to pick it up on the side. I don't know if he thought he had to play at home to try to cut down... um, I think it was Stevenson who was scoring the tying run. Gets by him. Rendon scores. Soto gets caught in a rundown. Nats up four to three. And then the big, the biggest thing from that that doesn't to me get enough press because the Soto hit's going to get him. Hudson shuts down. I mean, he gave up a single um, to Lorenzo Cain, but shuts down the Brewers with relative ease in the ninth inning. I mean, it happened in the blink of an eye. Um, and then, the, you know, the fly ball to center field. Robles squeezes it. We're going to L.A. Uh, so the, the, just the ease with which that happened. Not the ease, I mean, but the how quickly it happened. And it happened the same way in the NLDS. You're down, you're down three to nothing. Rendon doubles, Soto singles, and that was, I believe, in the sixth inning. And then um, in the eighth. Kershaw comes back out after getting eaten a strike out in the seventh to end the seventh. Um, and then back-to-back pitches. Rendon golfs one that was probably at his shins. Wasn't a bad pitch. Golfs it out to left field, 3-2. to two. And then Soto just gets out in front of one and absolutely demolishes it to right center field. And then just like that, it's 3-3. Three to three. And people immediately fast forward to the Howie Kendrick Grand Slam in the tenth inning, but... It took a lot to get to that 10th inning. I mean, Hudson had to escape a jam in the 9th. I mean, Will Smith hits... Was it Will Smith? I keep saying, want to say Will Smith. The rookie for the Dodgers, right-handed rookie, scorches a ball to deep right field. Eaton's on the on the warning track with one out. The Dodgers are pouring out of the dugout like they just won the game. Um, and... He makes the catch. I mean, it, it was a stressful couple of innings to get to that 10th inning. Um, and then that 10th inning, it was um, Eaton with a good walk. Rendon scorches a double that I was surprised didn't get out of the ballpark. They 
intentionally walked Soto. And this is where, I mean, we're not going to get into managerial decisions. I don't know why, though, Dave Roberts doesn't go to Kenley Jansen. Bases loaded. He leaves Joe Kelly in. And a hit that we will remember forever, although Howie outshined himself in Game 7 of the World Series, the Grand Slam uh, to put the Nats up for good in Game 5. And then you go to Game 7 of the World Series. I mean, you're down 2 to nothing. The Rendon solo shot kind of breaks the seal. Soto walks. Hinch pulls Granky, And then Howie goes opposite field off the foul pole. Soto and Eaton tack on runs late. They make it a 6-2 finish. And Corbin and Hudson kind of close it out with very little drama by the Astros. Corbin and Huddy's combined for uh, a scoreless four innings uh, to close out the World Series against one of the better, one of the best offenses in all of baseball. So the trailing in the winner take all games, and then the ease in which the offense took the lead, and then the pitching just shut everything down. No concerns in those games, and it goes with the fact that the Nats didn't blow a lead in the seventh inning or later in the entire postseason. In those games, the Nats were behind. They took the lead. They never laid the, let, never gave the lead back. And that's the reason they're World Series champions. Timely hitting and really good relief pitching from the guys that they brought in. To go along with that, another storyline for me that really sticks out and is something that I didn't think was sustainable throughout the whole playoffs, uh, but it ended up, I mean, they got lucky, not lucky, Lucky is the wrong word. They um, they disposed of St. Louis so quickly that it made it possible for them to do again in the World Series, and that was using their starters in relief. Probably the biggest one, or maybe the second biggest one, if you take if you think about Corbin in Game Seven of the World Series. But the biggest one was Strasburg coming in relief in the wild card game. Max went five, gave up three runs. Strasburg three scoreless with four Ks. And only two hits. And then Max, game two of the National League Division Series. The Nats are down one to nothing. He comes in. One inning just completely wipes out the Dodgers with three strikeouts. Uh, at that point, the Nats were only up three to two. Corbin had multiple appearances out of the bullpen. I mean, I think he really earned his paycheck this postseason. His first relief appearance did not go well. It was in Game 3 of the National League Division Series. He had six earned runs in two-thirds of an inning. And this is where I think Davey deserves a lot of credit. He stuck with Corbin as kind of his, his swing guy for the whole series. I think he felt most comfortable using him out of the pen compared to Sanchez. And I don't think he felt very comfortable using Strasburg or Scherzer too much. He didn't want to burn those guys out. So in Game 5 of the NLDS, he brings Corbin back after, you know, really... Getting shelled in Game 3. Game 5, Corbin goes 1 and a third, no runs, 3 Ks. Helps bridge that gap to the 10th inning when the Nats took the lead. Game 2 of the National League Championship Series, he came in, got a big out. Uh, game 1 of the World Series, he went 1 inning and had 2 strikeouts. And then Game 7 of the World Series, 3 huge innings following Max Scherzer. He pitched the 6th, 7th, and 8th. He had 3 strikeouts, no runs, was hardly in any trouble. I mean, really just, he calmed everything down and along with Max Scherzer gave the Nats a chance to win Game 7. Corbin was almost as big a hero in Game 7 to me as Max Scherzer and Howie Kendrick. I don't think that that's, I think he deserves that um, that praise and I don't think 
I think if you take if you take the six runs that he gave up out of the equation, I think he had a very good postseason for the first time in his career in the postseason. Um, another huge acquisition by Mike Rizzo. I mean, that was kind of an obvious one, 140 million over six years. But um, he really stepped up and he earned his stripes this year with the Nationals. Another storyline for me: unlikely heroes. Adam Eaton, first and foremost. He had 333 in the World Series with two home runs and six RBI. Anybody that saw that coming from Eaton, who I think is a fantastic player, but I didn't expect that kind of production out of him. Uh, especially Trey Turner struggled a bit in the World Series. I mean, he had some timely hits, but he struggled a bit in the World Series. Uh, Eaton really picked it up, was on base a lot for Rendon and Soto. How about Michael A. Taylor? Had 12 at-bats in the National League Division Series after spending most of the season in the minor leagues. He had 333 in the Division Series against the Dodgers. He also had a big home run in Game 2 of the National League Championship Series. And nobody will soon forget, even though it was a four-run game and there were two outs and nobody on base, 10th inning of the uh, NLDS Game 5, the diving catch to seal the Nationals' first Division Series win in history, in this franchise's history, since they got since they've gotten to Washington, the diving catch by Michael A. Taylor in L.A. Two others, uh, unlikely heroes for me: Anibal Sanchez, his near no hitter in Game One of the NLCS, set the tone for the entire series. Scherzer comes back the next night; he nearly throws a no no through <laughs> through seven. Um, and Strasburg Game Three, filthy, almost unhittable, and then Corbin did his job after being given a seven-run lead in Game 4, and that swept the Cardinals. I mean, that series, funny enough, is going to be an afterthought compared to the World Series, compared to Game 5 in the NLDS and the Wild Card game. The NLCS was a breeze for the Nats. They were the better team by far. They were playing better baseball. They shut down the Cardinals. Uh, they played better defense. They pitched better. They hit better. I mean, they were just a, uh, far and away the better team in that series. Um but Anibal Sanchez set the tone for that series. And then Daniel Hudson. The uh, late season pickup got him right at the trade deadline, 32 years old. Uh, twice has had Tommy John surgery. Gave up no runs in the wild card game, no runs in the entire NLDS, and zero runs in the entire NLCS. He had six appearances. He had four saves in those rounds. He did give up some runs in the World Series, but he did also close out. Uh, game seven of the World Series. He was um, as cold as ice for the Nats. I mean, he was um, locked. He locked them down. And his story in game one of the NLCS, where he went home to be with his wife, who was having their child, and he caught a lot of crap from people online, which I think is disgusting. He was a huge addition for the Nats uh, and really. Um, to me, still, it was I did not expect him to go the first three rounds of the playoffs, wild card, division series, and championship series, giving up zero runs in six appearances with four saves. He was huge for the Nats. The Nats had a lot of heroes, a lot of heroes in this World Series run, and none of them will be forgotten for a long time by Nats fans like me, D.C. sports fans. I mean, this team will live on. Um, a lot like the, uh, the first... Super Bowl team for the Redskins, you know, John Riggins. Those guys still don't have to buy a meal in D.C. Uh, you know, the Caps team that won it all, they're still playing. Um, and this Nats team, 
they all belong in the same group. They really do. They uh, they captured this region's heart, and um, they did everything the right way, and they had so much fun doing it. So my final thoughts on the whole thing, you know, I'm over 30 minutes now, and I'm sure you guys are getting a little bit tired of hearing me talk, but my final thoughts. We as a fan base, we went through heartbreak in 2012, 2014, 2016, and 2017. Um I was at the three Game 5s. Game 5 in 2012 may be, to this day, the worst um, sporting of, uh, the feeling I've ever had at a sporting event in my life. It really might be. I mean, it's worse to me than what happened uh, against Seattle, the, Re- the Redskins against Seattle when RG3 went down. They went up 14 to nothing, and then they lost the, the, the uh, wild card game. Uh, to me... The highest of highs the night before with the Jason Worth home run to the lowest of lows, giving up four runs in the ninth inning, blowing a 6 to nothing lead. Uh, that game, when they went up 6 to nothing, it felt like it was a coronation for the Nats, and it ended in heartbreak. And then 2014, you know, the Jordan Zimmerman game where he was pulled famously by Matt Williams, um, the mismanagement of the bullpen by Matt Williams, losing in four games to the Giants. 2016, the hard-fought five-game series against the Dodgers. Max Scherzer gives up one, and I think it was, what, six innings? Um, And then the Nats really couldn't do anything against the Dodgers' bullpen. And then 2017, I mean, the weirdest, craziest game five I've ever been to in my life. Max Scherzer comes in. You know, we're thinking he's going to pitch three, four innings of relief and close out the ball game, and he just has a wacky inning. The... um, Drop third strike. Um, the ball where the bat hit the catcher uh, on the backswing. Ball should have been dead. All of those things. Um, heartbreak. This team, this fan base has just been through heartbreak. And then May 24th, left for dead. This is probably, I don't think, it, Tom Boswell said it in the Washington Post, I agree with him. It's probably the most improbable run in Major League Baseball history. It probably is. The most improbable run in Major League Baseball history. To me, this the saddest thing is that this the this version of this team, these 25 guys, they're done playing baseball. They've played their last game together. There will be people that leave. Um, and I don't think I've ever had more fun watching baseball and it it scares me that i might never have as much fun as i did this year um watching baseball so many organic things came out of this team the dugout dances uh how fun were those you know the race car driving with howie and eaton and then towards the end other guys were joining in making the sounds that they were making the baby shark which to be honest i found cringeworthy at first but it's our thing man and we're not done seeing the baby shark we still have um, a parade tomorrow. They're going to be uh, at Capital One Arena Sunday night with the Caps. So we're not done seeing the Baby Shark. And then really the genuine love that this entire team had for one another. No Nats team before this had had that. And you can you can say what you think it what the reason was why they didn't have that. Maybe they didn't have the right manager for that. You know, maybe Davey Johnson and you know, Dusty Baker, Matt Williams, they couldn't foster that kind of uh, 
atmosphere but or culture, but Dave Martinez was able to. You could say that a certain player not being here was addition by subtraction, uh, chemistry-wise. Whatever it might be, they genuinely love each other. They heap praise on one another. You never saw anybody pointing fingers. And that means something on a baseball field. When you're spending seven-plus months together, more time together, as Ryan Zimmerman said, than you spend with your family, you have to like each other. And if you love each other and you can't wait to get back together, that means that when you're on the field, you're going to play as a cohesive unit. In a game that is so individually focused, you have one pitcher throwing one hitter of the ball, you're fielding your position with really no help from anybody else. It is an individual game played as a team. But when you are that cohesive as a unit, it's something special. And the Nats had it. They had it. They caught lightning in a bottle. Uh, and I say this with no hyperbole. I will remember this team for the rest of my life. They are a special group. The only thing I can compare it to in my life are the 2004 Boston Red Sox. Um, you know, the Cowboy Up people <laughs> with Kevin Millar. I mean, they had a cast of characters. You had Pedro Martinez. You had David Ortiz. They had fun playing baseball, too, and they were fun to watch. And I was in Boston at that time at school. Uh, they were fun to watch. But this Nats team, this one was ours. And we got to watch it. And um, I'm sad it's over. My body could certainly use the rest. Uh, I could use the detox from the uh, copious amounts of whiskey that I was drinking to, to calm the nerves during playoff games. But we've got plenty of film to watch. You know, during this long off season, hop on YouTube, jump on your DVR, jump on MLB.tv. We actually have some fun replays to watch. I was telling my wife the other night that uh, earlier this season, you know, May, April, May, you know, when times were bad, at the end of the game, I would go onto YouTube and I would watch old triumphs for the Nats. And I had a few go-tos. Um... Games that A, I happened to be there for, but also B, the, the ones that brought me the most joy. The Jason Worth home run. Uh, game two of the 2017 National League Division Series when uh, the Nats were down late. It was kind of a lot like this year. Harper homers, and then later in the inning, Zim homers, and they end up closing it out. Game five, or I'm sorry, not game five of that series. Game four of that series, Strasburg, who's sick in that game, pitches a gem. And Michael A. Taylor with the grand slam in the eighth inning. Uh, so I had some go-tos that I would that I would go and I'd watch them, and they would bring me joy. Even even though I knew with the outcome of those series where they brought me joy, I have now a wealth of stuff that I can go to when I'm missing baseball or I want something to just give me pure joy, and that's amazing. I mean, I'll, again, no hyperbole. I will never think, I will never forget this team. Um, they're just they they're always gonna have a place in my heart. Um, and also, my final thought. I'm not gonna get into the offseason now. Uh, I think I'll be back again to record another podcast. I think now that the season's over, uh, and I don't I won't feel like I wanted to jump in at the end of the you know, in September. At one point I even put out on Twitter I, I was gonna do like a, a mini podcast after each game. 
you know, starting, you know, mid-August or late August, and I just decided against it because, um, really, I am superstitious, and I didn't want to jinx them. I hadn't recorded one, uh, and you can go check since May 23rd. Um, but I don't think that this team's window is closed, you know. I, I think that they have still, fan, I mean, fantastic young talent. I mean, the core of Robles, uh, Soto, and even Turner, you can still count in that because they have them for a few more years. That core is about as good as it gets. And then your pitching staff, I, I don't think Strasburg's going anywhere. I think he's going to get more money from the Nats, but I don't think he's going anywhere. You still have two more years of Corbin, Strasburg, and Scherzer. You have another year of Corbin, Strasburg, Scherzer, and Sanchez. Um, Joe Ross has looked good. He is a viable fifth starter. Eric Fetty took strides last year. Um, team's in good hands. Hopefully Mike Rizzo makes some better decisions with the bullpen to start the season. He did a great job in the middle of the season. Uh, but even I thought the decisions he made last year were great at the start. The Barraclaw and Rosenthal signings, uh, trade-in signing. Um, but I don't think this team's windows closed, and I think that we're going to have a fun season next year. Uh, I, I do think that that season will pale in comparison to this season because there's you'll never forget your first time. And um, it was one for the ages. And one last thing, um, not that they'll ever listen to this, but to, to Charlie Slows and to Dave Jagler, you guys are phenomenal. You really are. You're phenomenal. Listening to you is like it's like it's like my childhood you know listening to i used to listen to games all the time on the radio when i was laying in bed um you guys to me there's nobody better than you guys on the radio your calls will go down in nat's history dave jagler calling howie kendrick's grand slam charlie slows calling the final out of game seven of the world series slows also called the juan soto the big Juan Soto hit in the wild card game. But um, you guys are phenomenal. So, uh, yeah, Charlie Slows, Dave Jagger, you guys are amazing. Uh, and I can't wait to listen to you for years to come. And until next time, Nats fans, I thank you guys for listening. What a ride it's been. If you uh, listen to this before the parade, enjoy the parade. Um, and just en enjoy this. Don't let anybody take anything away from you, you know. Don't let them ask you stupid questions. Just enjoy it. The Nats are World Series champs. We've got the trophy. And opening day next year, we're going to raise that banner. They did it. All right, guys, I'll talk to you. Take care.